Well, good morning. All right, show of hands on this one. How many runners? Good, 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 good. One of my favorite things to do in the world is to run. And uh, every week, I log about 25 or 30 miles around our neighborhood. And about a year ago, I was on a, a particular run, and um, I was coming up on a guy who was also running in our neighborhood. And I'd seen him a couple of times, and um, he was going a little bit slower than me. He was probably at the end of his run. I was at the beginning, so I was going a little bit quicker. And so I was going to just pass by him. And so as I got up close to him, um, being deaf in this ear, I only have an iPod thing in this ear. And so um, I took it out so that I could hear him uh, when I went by. And I said, hey, how you doing? As I went by. And he didn't say anything. Uh, that's sort of strange. Maybe he didn't hear me. A few days later, out on another run. And sure enough, he's coming towards me. I'm on the opposite side of the street. I get real up close to him. And I said, hey, how you doing? Nothing. And I'm like, what are the odds? He's deaf too. Two deaf guys running in the same neighborhood at the same time. Well, this went on for several months. And he never once, and I'd see him two or three times a week, never once would he even acknowledge that there was another person on the road. Well, this got to be sort of a point of contention with me. And I thought, you know, there's a lot I want to accomplish before I die and and with Jesus, and one of those things is, I want him to tell me hi. <laughs> and so I began to figure out ways that I could get him to acknowledge that I was a person and a fellow runner. And so every time, two or three times a week, our paths would cross. And I would go out of my way. I would do hand motions. One time I stopped and pretended like I needed to tie my shoes so that I would be stationary as he went by. Every time, hey, how you doing? Nothing. This has been going on for a year. Three days ago, I'm running. Middle of a six-mile run. Here he comes. I'm like, okay, today is the day. I am going to run toward him. And he's got one of a couple of options. One, he's a big guy, too. He can run me over, and I can be a spot. Or he can go around me, in which case he's acknowledged that I'm alive. Or he can say something to me when I say something to him. Sure enough, I'm coming straight at him. I get right up on him. And he sidesteps over and goes, nothing. Not a thing. This has been a year. Here's the deal. He's a jerk. Okay? <laughs> Jesus loves him. I'm trying hard. He's a jerk. That's the only thing I can conclude about this guy. But I am trying my best. I am killing him with kindness two or three times a week whenever I see him in the neighborhood. Every one of us, every one of us have some jerks in our lives. That's just the reality. As Clay and Casey said, we're starting a series this morning called If Jesus is So Great. And for the next three weeks, we're going to unpack a few things that can cause us severe disequilibrium between what Jesus taught, between what we know to be true and right, and what we actually experience over the course of our days and weeks and years. Now, you don't have to be around New Community for very long to know that we, we really, really, really do believe that Jesus is great. 
And we don't believe just that he's great. We believe he's the smartest person who ever lived. We believe that everything that he said was true and authoritative and trustworthy. We believe that he holds the key to life, both in the here and now as well as in the hereafter. We take him and what he said and what he did incredibly serious at New Community. But if Jesus is so great, if what he said is so true, Why does he have so many rules? And why on occasion does my life get so lousy? And why are some of the people who profess to follow him such jerks in the course of any given day? For the next three weeks, we're going to try and answer those questions by unpacking what Jesus had to say about our relationships and our religion and our reality. The Bible says... That human beings, you and me, and everyone outside these four walls, every person that's ever been created by our God was created in His image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, Moses writing says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created man. Male and female, He created them. And then you switch to the New Testament. In John 14, Jesus comes along and Jesus sort of ups the ante. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's just equated himself to the Father. He said, if you see me, you see God. And then he says this, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So there is some sense in which what Jesus is about is what people are to be about. There's some sense in which his mission is to be our mission. Our mission is to mirror, resemble his mission. And then in John 17, Jesus says to God, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So there is something about Jesus that we are supposed to reflect. There is something about Jesus that should be true of you and me. And then Paul, you come to later on in the New Testament, he reiterates this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Christ has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's, what? Ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. This is one reason it's so key as to how you and I live the life that we live. This is why it's so key as we follow Jesus, that we do what He says do and don't do what He says don't do. Because there is a sense in which God is making His appeal to a lost world through you and me. And then Paul really goes to an extreme when he says in Ephesians 5.1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Imitate God. So Christians... Those who profess and claim the name of Jesus aren't just to live in Christ. We are to live as reflections of Christ. We're to imitate God. We're to be His image bearers. In other words, we're to live in such a way that we should be able to say to others, watch me, do what I do, listen to me, hang with me. If you do this, you will in some part see Jesus. We should live in such a way that that is a true statement, that we could actually say that to someone else, not in a bragging, egotistical, conceited sort of way, but in a way that Jesus' followers are to reflect Him and His Father. This is at the heart of why Christians are called the body of Christ. The local church is the body of Christ. We're to 
be image bearers of Him. We're to mirror Him. We're to reflect Him. If people want to find God, one place that they're supposed to be able to find God is in His image bearers. But you and I both know that this is not always the case, is it? You can turn to just about any page in history and see examples, countless examples of people pursuing evil and injustice and heartbreaking atrocities all in the name of God. We see this in the Crusades. We see this during the Dark Ages. We see this all throughout history. We see this today in our culture, in our world. And it would be really great if we, could, if we could just say that the Christians who have acted badly throughout the course of history, well, they just weren't true followers of Jesus. But that would be an escape hatch answer for us. And while it might be true some of the time, it wouldn't be true all of the times. We can no more assume that a Christ follower cannot be a jerk than we can assume that just because someone is a good, moral, ethical person, he or she is a Christ follower. You can't make those kind of assumptions in the world in which we live. Eugene Peterson says the following. He says, religion is the most dangerous energy source known to humankind. The moment a person or a government or a religion or an organization is convinced that God is either ordering or sanctioning a cause or a project, then anything goes. The history worldwide of religion-fueled hate, killing, and oppression is staggering, he writes. And so I want to ask us the question this morning, what do we do when we come face to face with someone who claims to be a Christian? What do we do when we come face to face with someone who claims the name of Christ and yet acts like a jerk, treats us like a jerk? How should we respond when people who profess to follow Jesus are contemptibly naive and unkind, and foolish, and rude, and sometimes downright cruel to the rest of us. I want us to unpack the answer to that question by remembering a couple of things this morning. And the first of of these is this. We need to remember that Christians are not Christ. We need to remember that Christians are not Christ. When you and I intentionally step across the line of faith to follow Jesus, we are to be like Him, we are to represent Him, we're to be His ambassadors, we're to live as God's image bearers, we're to imitate God. But at the end of the day, you and I are still sinful, fallen human beings, some of which are working really hard to resemble Jesus, some of which are not working too hard to resemble Jesus. But at the end of the day, every single one of us has to acknowledge that while we are forgiven, we are far short of being perfect. And that's just the reality. And when you and I encounter people who under the guise of religion or who under the guise of faith or who under the guise of following Jesus act like stupid jerks, We need to remember, they're not Christ. We're not Christ. We're to represent, we're to be image bearers, we're to mirror Him, we're to reflect Him. But we are still sinful, fallen human beings with a depraved nature. Now, this is one of the great tensions in the Bible. Because the second we step across the line of faith, the second we place our trust in Jesus and what He did on the cross, the minute, the second we do that, positionally, 
We are perfect. Positionally, we are complete in Christ, the Bible teaches. Positionally, we become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Positionally, we are chosen and forgiven and redeemed and justified and no longer condemned. Positionally, we are like Christ, the Bible teaches. The minute, the second, we step across the line of faith and place our trust in Jesus. But experientially, the working out of what is true of us positionally is a whole nother ballgame. Experientially, we are very much in process. Experientially, we are still working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Experientially, we sometimes take three steps forward and two steps back. Experientially, we are becoming like Christ. We are not completely like Christ. And that tension between who we are in Christ and who we are as we live for Christ sometimes can be a quite a large gap, quite a large disconnect. This is why Sheldon Van Auken writes in his book, A Severe Mercy, he says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. Care to venture a guess as to what he says is the best argument against Christianity? Christians, when they are somber and joyless and self-righteous and smug and narrow and repressive, he writes, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. One of the ways you and I, I think, can learn to deal with the jerks in our lives is to remember they are not Christ. They might be Christ followers. They might proclaim and name the name of Jesus. But they are not Him. They are in process just like you and I are in process. There's a second thing we need to remember when we encounter jerks, and that is that everyone is a hypocrite. Everyone is a hypocrite. Probably the number, in fact, what, what is the number one excuse non-Christians give for not following Christ, for not engaging in the local church? What's the number one reason? The church is full of what? Hypocrites. And guess what? They're exactly right. Every one of us here is a hypocrite to some degree. But here's the deal. It's not just Christ followers who are part of the church, who are the body of Christ, that sometimes play the role of hypocrite. It's the atheist who is also a hypocrite. It's the person who is not moral and good and ethical who is a hypocrite, just as much as the person who is moral and good and ethical. People who are close to God are no more or less hypocrites than people who are far from God. It's interesting when you read through Scripture that the word hypocrite in Jesus' day uh, was actually a word, uh, hypocrisis, if you will. It meant pretending or faking or play acting. It was a technical term used of stage actors in Jesus' day. As such, what you saw on the stage was not really who they were. They were acting. They were playing a role. They were pretending. They were faking. And to that degree, every person who's ever lived on the planet is a hypocrite. Because no matter what we say we believe or don't believe, we are never 100% true to that belief or that non-belief. I like what Brennan Manning writes. He says, the greatest source of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips 
but to deny him by their lifestyles. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I think he goes one step short, though. Because not only are the people who profess faith in Christ hypocrites, the person who says, I don't have faith, is a hypocrite. Because they live their life by as much faith as you and I. It's just faith in a different object. It's faith in themselves. Or it's faith in nature. Or it's faith in science. Or it's faith in some laws or some rules. And they don't live that perfectly any more than you and I live our life and our faith in Christ perfectly. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. The reality is when you and I come face to face with someone who professes faith, with someone who professes to have a relationship with Jesus, and they act like a jerk, we need to remember that Christians are not Christ. And we need to remember that everyone is a hypocrite. There's a third thing we need to remember in order to deal with the jerks in our lives, and it's this. We need to remember to always err on the side of grace. We need to remember to always err on the side of grace. Samuel Johnson said, Kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. Kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. I think the world is so tired of Christians who claim to know God, who claim to understand the Bible, who claim to have the right beliefs, who claim to have a relationship with Christ, but in whom there is little grace. Without grace, life gets awful clumsy. Without grace, life is awkward business. Without grace, people get hurt. Without grace, we get hurt. I know we don't deserve, I know you don't deserve to be treated the way you get treated sometimes by the people in your life. That's just a true statement. I know how much it hurts when someone betrays you or lets you down or lashes out at you. I've had my fair share of run-ins with people who claim to follow Jesus who acted like complete jerks. That's just a reality. But Jesus loves jerks too. Jesus loves people who act like jerks just as much as he loves the people who don't act like jerks. Paul says in Romans 5 eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paraphrase, but God demonstrates, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while you and I were still jerks, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become non-jerks. He didn't wait for us to clean our act up. He didn't wait for us to get better. He died for us while we were still jerks. That's love, that's unconditional, that's true, that's authentic love. Not based on the worth of us, but based on the value that the lover places in us. Just maybe, just maybe, God allows jerks in your life and my life in order to teach us to be more like Jesus. Just maybe, 
This is part of why we have to deal with the difficult people that we have to deal with. I mean, the very heart of the gospel is that God loves the unlovely. The very heart of the gospel is that God loves people who act like jerks. And maybe God allows difficult people, hard people, trying people, unsafe people to cross our paths on such a regular basis because He wants to teach us how to respond to them as Jesus would respond to them. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' teaching. He says this in the first verse. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And then, he, and, then he, and then he says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Just maybe God permits us to cross paths with jerks to teach us this God-like quality of loving the unlovely. Of loving someone when there is nothing in it for us. Maybe God is going to use the jerk in your life that annoys you so much as an instrument to help you grow in some area where you need to more resemble Jesus and His character. I like what John Ortberg writes in one of his books. He says, when you and I enter relationships with the illusion that people are normal, we resist the truth that they are not. We enter an endless attempt to fix them, control them, or pretend that they are what they are not. One of the great marks of maturity, he writes, is to accept the fact that everyone comes as is. When you deal with human beings, you've come to the as-is corner of the universe. We are as-is. And the people who act like jerks to us in our life, whether they proclaim the name of Jesus or not, are as-is. They are as-is. And so one of the things you and I need to understand and remember when we're dealing with difficult people is that we should always try and err on the side of grace. We should always try and err on the side of grace. There's a final thing that you and I need to remember when dealing with difficult people. And I think this is the hardest. We need to remember that Christians are not Christ. We need to remember that everyone is a hypocrite. We need to remember to always err on the side of grace. But we also need to remember that sometimes, sometimes, we're the jerk. Sometimes you're the jerk, sometimes I'm the jerk. Sometimes we play the role of jerk in the life of someone else. Sometimes people pray to God about you and about me and about our jerkiness. When I was a kid, and in my defense, I'm going to tell you a story, and I wasn't a Christ follower at this time, so please take that in consideration. When I was a kid, we had a, a, a boy in our neighborhood, and his name was Jack. And Jack had an orange go-kart. 
Everyone in our neighborhood either rode motorcycles or had go-karts. I was a motorcycle rider. My best friend was a go-kart rider. He had this cool red go-kart. Jack had a cool orange go-kart. There were a half a dozen go-karts, another half a dozen or a dozen motorcycles. And so we sort of all hung around together and went up and down August Drive and Clearpoint Circle and Clearpoint Drive and all the streets in our neighborhood. Jack, though, was hard to be around. Even as a young kid, I realized this guy is a jerk. Jack the jerk. He was different from the rest of us. He was a different nationality. He had different values. He taught different. He looked different. His go-kart was different. And he seemed to, in everything he did, accentuate all of his differentness. And so one day, me and a couple of my friends decided, you know, we need to help Jack not be a jerk. And so uh, there was a guy who lived on our street. Our street was a very steep hill. And every fall, he would rake all of his leaves and he would pile them down the street in front of his house. And so the entire length of street in front of his house, there was a pile of leaves, literally, no joke, five feet high and about ten feet wide. It covered literally one lane of the street. And then the city would come by with their truck and they would pick up the leaves. And so we would, on rare occasions take our motorcycles and our go-karts and we would run through his leaves at very high rates of speed in order to see the leaves go flying and we would laugh and it was fun and then he would be back out there the next day raking his leaves back up sort of saying bad things under his breath about others and on this particular day we decided you know let's teach Jack let's teach Jack not to be a jerk and so we went into the woods that were behind uh, our houses and we got a log it was a large log, and we drug the log into the leaf pile, and we covered up the log with the leaves so that it simply looked like about 25 yards of leaves on the street like it did every single fall. But on that particular day, we were being really nice to Jack. We said, hey, Jack, let's do the leaf thing. You go first. And so he got up to the top of the hill in his go-kart. You know, the little go-karts have governors on them and they only go like 30 miles an hour. But, but if you could get up the top of the hill, you could go actually faster than 30 miles an hour. And so he got up on top of the hill and we were all standing around the leaf pile on our motorcycles and our other go-karts. And he came down the hill just flying. He went faster than I'd ever seen him go before. And he rounded the curve onto our street, August Drive. And when he hit the leaves, they flew like they always did. But in the middle of the pile, about halfway down, was the log. And he didn't know the log was there. And his go-kart, going very, very fast, hit the log with Jack in it. He wasn't in it for long. Because when he hit the log, Jack and the go-kart, they flew. They flew up in the air. They flew higher than any of the leaves flew. And it was all in slow motion, and we saw the go-kart tumbling, uh, and we saw Jack wrapped up and tumbling, and it was, it, was, it was an amazing sight. And he crashed and hurt himself, and, you know, because we were his friends, we ran really fast on our motorcycles and our go-karts. Soon after that day, Jack moved. His family moved. They left our neighborhood. 
I don't know what happened to him. To this day, I don't know what happened to him. I don't even remember his last name. But there is someone, if he's still alive, in the world today, actually there are probably more than one person, but who thinks that I am the biggest jerk in the world. And at some level, he's exactly right. Because sometimes you and I play the role of the jerk. Sometimes you're the one. Sometimes I'm the one who is rude and insensitive and foolish and harsh and abusive and controlling and offensive and unwise and cruel and unforgiving and obnoxious and manipulative and vindictive. And that's just the hard, sad truth about you and me. We are all capable of being such jerks, even though we love Jesus and we love people. I've spent a lot of time over the years in intensive care waiting rooms, waiting with folks, waiting for the doctor to come out and say that the test was negative, or waiting for the doctor to come out and say that the surgery was successful, or waiting for the doctor to come out and hopefully, hopefully give some semblance of good news to the family uh, that was waiting. And I've concluded over the years that intensive care waiting rooms are different from any other place in the world. And the people who wait in intensive care waiting rooms, they're different. Because the truth is, everyone who's in intensive care waiting rooms, waiting on words from the doctor, waiting on news about their loved ones, everyone just can't seem to do enough for each other. No one is rude, no one is cruel, no one is mean, no one is vindictive. Everyone is incredibly patient. Everyone is incredibly kind. And the distinctions of race just melt away and the distinctions of class just melt away and the janitor loves his wife as much as the university professor loves his wife. Vanity vanishes. Pretense disappears. And the world for people who are waiting in intensive care waiting rooms, at least for a short time, the world changes. And everyone pulls for everyone else. What if those of us that profess faith in Christ, what if those of us who follow Jesus, what if those of us who know the answers to the questions and who understand how to interpret the Scripture and who have placed our trust and our life into the hands of Jesus because the deal He offers is the only deal going? What if those of us who are in that position, those of us that are children of God, what if those of us that are assured of eternity in heaven when we die, what if we, who love and follow and obey Jesus, what if we could just learn to love the people in our lives, in our little world, as though we were all spending time in the intensive care waiting room. I think that would solve a lot of our problems with the jerks in our lives. I think that would solve a lot of our problems in being jerks to others. If Jesus is so great, why are some of His followers such jerks? It's the same reason you and I are such jerks. It's the same reason there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we act. So I just want to challenge you this morning. 
as we spend the next few weeks talking about Jesus and what He has to say about our relationships and about our religion and about our reality, I just want to challenge you. Start looking at your life and the people in your life and the situations in your life and the circumstances in your life. Start viewing that as though you were just logging time in the intensive care waiting room. And start treating the people in your little world as you would treat someone who was waiting on news about cancer or about a surgery or about whether their loved one is actually going to live or die. It will change your perspective. It will change my perspective. Because the truth is, those of us that follow Jesus, we know the answer. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us who can effect incredible transformation and incredible change. And then what Jesus asks of us is that we just mirror that change, that we just reflect His love, that we're just image bearers of His heavenly Father who is so gracious that while you and I were still sinners, He sent His Son to die on our behalf. If you would please just close your eyes and I'm going to pray for us. Father, it is so easy. It is so easy to play the role of the jerk. It is so easy to be impatient with people and frustrated with people. It is so easy to have unrealistic expectations for people. It is so easy to want to control people, to want to change people. It is so easy for us to want to make people do what we want them to do. It is so easy for us to play the role of the jerk. My prayer this morning for each of us here is that you would just help us to begin looking at people like you look at people. That we would begin to view the people in our lives that are difficult, that are jerks, through your lens, through your perspective, they caused you to send your son to die on their behalf so that they might have salvation, so that they might have forgiveness of their sins, so that they might have a way out of being egotistical, conceited, arrogant jerks. And so we commit that to you. And we ask this week that you just really work in each of us and help us make some progress in this area so that we more closely resemble the character and the nature and the love and the patience of your Son. And we pray and ask this in His name. Amen. Have a great afternoon. See you next week.